Hello everyone, my name is Sarah Burke um, and I've introduced I'm a DPhil in Anthropology student here at Oxford. Um, my current research looks at Indigenous Australian health and well-being, but the research I'm presenting today is based on my master's work, uh, which was looking at narratives of obesity in Australia around for Indigenous Australians in particular. Um, I'm an Indigenous Australian. I am descended from the Jaru and Gamilaroi peoples. I also have ancestry from England, Ireland, Germany and China. So I think of myself as kind of embodying Australia's diverse and complex history. But I have to say it's my Indigenous heritage which has had the largest impact on my upbringing and my identity and is the perspective that I brought to my research as a graduate. Um, another perspective I have, and I'm kind of curious about what the percentage of uh, researchers who have been obese themselves is. I suspect it's lower than the population average. But I was actually obese in my early 20s. Nothing too dramatic. Um, it was kind of the early like, BMI of like 31. But I think it had a really big impact on the way that I'm viewing the obesity epidemic or the obesity question and why it's happening. Um, and I think a lot of it, for me anyway, um, from my perspective as an Indigenous person, it had a lot to do with structural dynamics that meant that it was harder for me to be healthier than the average Australian. So that's what I'd like to break down for you today, kind of looking at statistics and qualitative data to sort of support this idea that obesity itself should be decolonized or thought about in those sorts of ways. So, <coughs> the process of decolonizing obesity must begin with an understanding of how obesity is related to the colonial experience. Therefore, the majority of my talk will be focused on <coughs> addressing that and presenting that evidence. Um, firstly, I'll discuss how obesity metrics such as BMI and waist circumference may not re represent indigenous body norms. Uh, I will then look at the statistical data that suggests that obesity is the embodiment of structural inequalities. I will then present some qualitative research which describes obesity as an intergenerational experience which is deeply rooted in historical traumas. At the end, I'll suggest potential avenues for decolonizing obesity uh, at the individual and community levels which focus on strengths-based interventions, that is interventions which focus on the power that culture has to impact health positively. So I have to say that there is not a lot of research about obesity and Indigenous perspectives in Australia, full stop. Um, and a lot of the statistics that we do know about obesity for Indigenous Australians always have caveats about oh, how this isn't necessarily reliable, may not be representative, these things like that. So bear that in mind as I present this stuff. Um, so the WHO guidelines for BMI are applied almost universally for Indigenous Australian, the Indigenous Australian population in the literature. Waist circumference has also been proposed as an con equally convenient measure of obesity, which may also be more indicative of cardiovascular risk. Um, however, there is evidence to suggest 
that the reference groups for both BMI and waist circumference are inaccurate indicators of obesity for Indigenous Australians. One study by Liam McDermott compared the correlation between BMI, waist circumference and waist hip ratio and cardiometabolic risk factors such as diabetes and hypertension in a sample of over 2,800 people, Indigenous Australians. And they found that, well, the study produced optimal BMI cutoffs, which are well below the WHO guidelines for obesity. So from their data, they said that the any, and for men, Indigenous men, a BMI of 23 or above would be equivalent to obesity and over, at 25 or above for Indigenous women. And it was similar findings for waist circumference. So here are like the Australian norms for women and men. And you can see for Indigenous women, it's 10 or more centimetres higher as the optimal waist circumference. And for Indigenous men, it's a little bit lower than women, but it's the reversed relationship for the rest of the population. Um, Thus, current estimates for obesity in the Indigenous Australian population may either underestimate or overestimate obesity rates depending on which measure is used and if it is for males or females. Thus, by continuing to apply the standard guidelines to describe the rate of obesity for Indigenous Australians, its real impact becomes masked. Furthermore, there is an issue around the constant comparison between Indigenous populations and non-Indigenous populations because it means that Indigenous people continuously fail to meet non-Indigenous standards. And this reinforces the deficit discourse present in Indigenous Australian health, which frames indigeneity itself as a risk factor. Okay, so in case you are unfamiliar with the ways in which the health of Indigenous people is framed at the structural level in Australia, let me summarise it by saying that national statistics about Indigenous health collected by the government paint a very bleak picture of almost universal inequality across all measures of health, education, employment and housing. Indigenous people die younger, faster and more often than the general population and die from avoidable conditions at 3.5 times the rate than the rest of the population. And these deaths are seen as avoidable had appropriate healthcare and timely healthcare been provided at the right time. As a result, life expectancy at birth is 10 years lower for males and almost 10 years lower for females. The constant comparison that exists even has a catchphrase close the gap, um, which is based on a public awareness campaign by the Australian government, which began in 2007 and continues to today, that is aimed at raising awareness of the gap between the lives of Indigenous Australians and the rest of the population. Now, I'm not saying raising awareness is bad, but I am saying that this idea of constantly comparing rather than looking at kind of within population measures is a systemic issue. So, with that in mind, what do the statistics tell us about obesity and its causes? Well, the general population rates of obesity in Australia resemble those of other developed countries and comparable countries like Canada and New Zealand. Um, and likewise, the Indigenous Australian 
um, population represents a, an increase in obesity rates similar to those other countries with indigenous populations. Now, while, the, so the most recent statistics I could find for the general population were recent, and for indigenous Australians it's a little bit older. The difference doesn't seem like that much, but once you account for the fact that the indigenous Australian population is much younger on average, I think the average age is 23, compared to 38 for the general population. It really emphasizes that the difference in obesity rates, which here is 1.6, indigenous strength is 1.6 more times, times more likely to be obese, and for women it's even higher. Now, some of the re most recent information about obesity comes from data collected in the 45 and up study. Like the name suggests, it focuses on a large sample of adults age 45 and over living in New South Wales and gathers comprehensive information about the social determinants of health in this population. One paper conducted by Thurber and her colleagues conducted a statistical analysis of obesity prevalence and its relationship to sociodemographic factors, health behaviours and health status among Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal adults. The study also sought to quantify the extent to which key factors such as physical activity, screen time, education, remoteness and others accounted for any excess obesity. So their findings actually found that many of the causes for obesity are the same whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous. Um, things like less formal education, lower incomes, higher level uh, area level disadvantage, less physical activity, less standing time, and more screen time. And the strongest correlation between obesity rates, but for obesity rates, was found for poor self-reported physical and mental health. The authors also asserted that the rest, so the other 50 to 60% of the excess obesity may be explained by other factors they just didn't think to measure, or also the ongoing effects of colonisation. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a bit. So, the, what the findings of Thurber and colleagues found that correlated with other evidence that says obesity is associated with a lower rating of self-assessed health. Um, Indigenous Australians are more likely to rate their health as poor or fair, uh, and less likely to rate their health as very good or excellent. Disability factors also play a huge role. You know, as you become more obese, you become less able to take care of yourself and your health, uh, and Indigenous Australians experience this at higher levels as well. Contributing factors are the, the greater levels of insecurity across social insecurity, economic insecurity, and food insecurity, which in turn produces further stress. And this is a mechanism which is known to mediate the prevalence of obesity on a population level. And I've just given like one example of statistics where you can see the median weekly household income for Indigenous adults is just a fraction of what it is for non-Indigenous adults on average. <clears throat> Thus, where the contributing factors for obesity are measurable, 
Indigenous Australians almost always experience more of it and at a greater severity than the rest of the population on average. So let's talk about what might be contributing to that 50 to 60% of excess obesity that can't be measured at the moment. There's a scarcity of literature in Australia which incorporates Indigenous points of view in relation to obesity. However, what is out there frames obesity and related behaviours within the context of the colonial experience which has become intertwined with Indigenous identities and cultural practices today. I think the best way to examine this is to look at how historical events stemming from colonisation have changed the relationship Indigenous people have with food. So before colonisation, the population was estimated to be between 770,000 to a million people. It was highly diverse, over 250 distinct languages thought to be spoken. Um, and after colonisation, as a result of genocide and the spread of disease, the population dropped to just 75,000 estimates. Are. Across the continent, Indigenous people were removed from their traditional homelands and forced to live in concentrated groups at stations or missions. During the 1800s, over 200 Christian missions were established to provide rations, minor health care, housing, education, religion, and in some cases, protection from other white Australians. Indigenous health and wellbeing suffered from a severance with traditional lifestyles and foods, and control over their lives was taken away. Over several generations, lighter-skinned children were systematically removed from their parents and extended families and taken to be trained as domestic servants for white middle-class Australians living in larger towns and cities. This policy was actually enacted right up until the 1970s uh, and its victims are now called the Stolen Generations. Maintaining family connections has always been a key part of culture for Indigenous people. The experience of such historical traumas have emphasised the desire for this connection and many Indigenous people seek to maintain this connection through food. For example, foods which were given as rations on Christian missions in the past, such as sugar, tea, flour and other starchy, salty and fatty foods, are now thought of as a way to connect people to their childhood, parents and ancestors. And I've just included a quote here from the literature where a woman is describing that her mum would always cook these foods and wasn't conscious of the content and that's how she in turn has learned to cook. In fact, the colonisation itself has led to the progressive limitation of food knowledge over successive generations. Now, an ethnographic study by Thompson and Gifford conducted almost 20 years ago, but still good, examined the meaning of health and diabetes for Aboriginal people living in Melbourne, so in an urban environment. They looked at the meaning that sugar has for Aboriginal people as both an ingredient and as a way to describe diabetes. And they stated that sugar, while understood by their participants to be something that was introduced, also had an important cultural role as a food which was passed down the family line through, through food customs. It reinforced family identity and connections over time and place. Thus, sugar took on both positive and negative meanings when it, when it was described as running in the family. 
The high consumption of sugar across generations meant that experiences of obesity-related diseases like diabetes have become woven into family narratives, where some people see their experience of diabetes as inevitable and inherited from their parents. The participants in Thompson and Gifford's study extended this to the sharing fast food with the family, which was seen as a protective factor for health because it contributed to social well-being. This was particularly the case for men, and I'm just going to read you a quote from their article. Eating family food, particularly meat with fat, is more important to men for the symbolic connections it provides. If a man eats diet food, he may have few other connections and may therefore risk severing one of his few remaining symbolic links. For a man, the risk of being disconnected is a more serious outcome than the risk of complication of diabetes. So these beliefs have implications for obesity interventions. For the general population, GPs and other health professionals focus on individual behaviour change to facilitate weight loss. However, as Thompson and Gifford pointed out, for Indigenous people, such an approach would isolate individuals from their families, both in a social sense as well as a historical sense, disrupting patterns of identity production and reproduction that have been developed as a coping strategy to process historical trauma. So, the good stuff. Avenues for decolonizing obesity. These are my opinions um, based on the literature, but then also the big gaps in the literature where I think these interventions would be well placed. To avoid isolating individuals, health professionals should implement whole of family or community approaches to encourage positive behaviour change. So when you go see the GP, maybe it shouldn't just be you, maybe it should be you and your family, and that there should be a whole conversation about family dynamics and its relation to obesity behaviours. This should be done using culturally appropriate Indigenous-led initiatives, because this inherently works against deficit discourse and constant comparison with non-Indigenous norms. And the collection of holistic data related to the Indigenous-lived experience of obesity would be welcome. I'm just going to put a plug in here for the, the Maya Kawai study. Uh, it's actually the focus of my DPhil research, and it looks at the cultural determinants of health for Indigenous Australians, and so far they've got over 20,000 people who have filled out the survey, which means it is the largest collection of health data for Indigenous Australians ever collected, um, far more than the government's got. So by applying a strengths-based model, um, this would leverage the significant advantages that Indigenous cultural practices can provide. And it's already been shown for language in this example by Birch, where Indigenous Australians who spoke traditional languages had a 27% chance of being obese, compared to 34.1% for those who only spoke English. So to conclude, Indigenous Australian obesity is both directly and indirectly related to colonisation. It is important that the reference points for metrics such as BMI and waist circumference accurately reflect Indigenous male and female norms of body shape, fat accumulation and disease risk. When examining the causes or solutions to the higher rates of obesity, the lived experience of inequality and intergenerational trauma should be taken into account. Finally, avenues for decolonizing obesity can be grounded in indigenous perspectives 
and draw on the significant advantages that aspects of Indigenous cultures can provide. Thank you for your attention.